The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com. Empire. When the betting returns, the score will be ready. This is not the most economical route in the short term because we could have made a crap load of money just by taking affiliate payments. But we said, no, that really isn't the real the, 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 the way to build this business. So we decided to, to go all in and you know become the operator. We, we are, as you know, the only sports digital or the only sports media company, period, who actually is the bookie and who actually is taking the action. That's John Levy, founder and CEO of The Score. They are doubling down on their success by going all in. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. John Levy built a media empire up in Canada, and now they are pivoting to the next frontier, sports gambling. This is an interesting time to dive in with two feet thanks to an unprecedented shutdown of sporting events worldwide. But assuming everything is going to go back to normal and the games will begin again at some point, John takes us through how the score turns its valuable content platform into a full-service betting arena. And one note, this interview was taped before we knew the scope of the coronavirus outbreak. So if John and I sound a little bit tone deaf to current issues, keep in mind, we didn't know at the time what was about to happen. Later, cycling, that's a good social distancing sport. And you'll hear about the amazing advancements in skin suits from John Patton at Vortec. But first, the future is now for the Minnesota Twins, who may have a tech advantage when baseball does eventually return. So the baseball offseason has been focused on what happened down south with the Astros, the American League champions who were caught in a cheating scandal from their World Series a couple of years ago. The other playoff teams are trying to stay a little bit under the radar as they circle the wagons to try to get back to the World Series themselves, which includes the Minnesota Twins, who are using technology to hopefully better their season. Derek Wetmore is the host of the Score North Twin Show, and he joins us now. Hey, Derek, how are you? Hi, Bram. Good. How are you? What are force plates? <laughs> it's a leading question, but I think it's at the center of one of the things the twins are trying to figure out right now. Essentially what they are, I think of them as like one of those Wii, Nintendo Wii sensory boards. You know, you're playing tennis with your neighbor and it can sense your movement as you move around on the plate. Well, the twins are using that technology or, or something similar anyways to try to measure force into the ground for not only their hitters, but their pitchers too, and try and put data to movement and help it make their players better. So um, how are they implementing this, and have they seen any kind of result of using these yet? i got to be honest with you, the overwhelming number of people I talked to for this story that I, I wrote for Score North on force plates uh, they basically say, hey, we're still just learning how this works. We don't have a, a straight line or, or a linear path to 
here's what the data says, here's how we can make you better. But the Twins are leaning in to try to figure that out. If there is any sort of uh, correlation and, and the Twins have found it, they're certainly being very coy about it because most people that I talked with for this story said something to the effect of this is a learning tool and we're in the early stages of it. Um, so are they trying to say this is proprietary to them or are they just trying not to get too far ahead of themselves and pronounce whatever kind of achievements they think they're getting out of this? I think it's a little of A, a little of B. They're taking data from these, you know, it's, I basically think of it as a piece of hardware that looks like a batter's box or a pitcher's mound in either case, and then it's attached to software that measures uh, this force output. And they're probably using some of their own internal propri- uh, proprietary stuff to to figure out what this means and where it will lead and all of that. Um, but I also think that there's just this intellectual humility under Twins uh, president of baseball ops, Derek Falvey, that basically says, hey, we don't always have every answer. Let's be curious. Let's learn. Let's lean into some of these things. But let's not pretend like we have it figured out. And the second part of that is if they do have it figured out, I don't think they want to advertise that <laughs> and let the rest of the league catch up overnight. Uh, certainly. I mean, listen, this is baseball. There are teams like Boston and New York and the Angels and the Dodgers who are going to outspend everybody. Minnesota doesn't fall into that category, so they've got to find an edge, right? And if they have found one that is in the tech side, then all the better for them. Yeah, that's right. And I, I read an interesting story on MLB.com the other day. Um, it was actually at a Brewers camp where, you know, David Stearns, of course, is leaning into these things, too. The small market brewers are spending a lot of money to try to unearth some of these secrets. And they'll talk about some of it, it sounds like, or based on the reporting I saw. But there are definitely some off-limit stuff, sort of the shadowy edge of this, where teams don't want to just come out and say, this is what we're doing, and if you've got more money than us, go feel free to outspend us and beat us in this edge. I, I do still think there's a little bit of a uh, money ball aspect here of trying to get ahead of your competition and stay there once you get there. Uh, on the Twins as a whole, um, is this type of technology and implementation, is that new to them? Have they been a forward-thinking franchise? Well, depends how far back you want to go with that question. Under Derek Falvey, I'd say they certainly have been. He took over after the 2016 season. Uh, you know, things like Trackman and Rapsodo and Edgertronic cameras are not foreign to the Twins front office now under Derek Falvey. Um, but I think you go back a little bit further than that, and it was uh, sort of, uh, I don't know how to put it, but under longtime Twins GM Terry Ryan, uh, whom I've got a ton of respect for, but it was definitely more of the uh, eye test, scouting, old-fashioned way of doing it, uh, not to say right or wrong, but just in the, you know, 2010 and sort of beyond, I do think that the Twins fell behind in the research, in the tech, and all that. Uh, they're they're trying to race ahead to the front of that now under Derek Falvey. You can read Derek Retmore's work and hear his twin show at scorenorth.com. Thank you, Derek. Thanks, Bram. Up next, John Levy, CEO of The Score, who is ready to go from content provider to betting hub. This is the Future Sport Podcast. Our 
guest this week is the founder and the CEO of one of the most popular sports apps on earth, The Score. And they are going and deep diving into gambling and sports wagering in the future. Hi, John. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, Bram. It's, uh, it's great to be on with you and talk about this uh, amazing opportunity, this amazing business. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's tremendous. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a big deal for us here at The Score, and um, I'm delighted to chat about it. So uh, before we get into the future, let's talk about the past here. Um, yeah. What was the impetus behind starting The Score, and can you kind of take us through the history of the app? Well, this is where everybody in the office tends to roll their eyes when I start talking about this because, and I'm not going to bore you unless this is a five or six hour podcast, which I'm sure it's not, but there really is a long history. I kind of grew up in the media space. Uh, my, you know, without, my dad was one of the first guys in cable television up here in Canada, so I grew up in that business. That, before we sold that, that morphed into the, a TV network, a digital sports network in Canada, and it was really cool. It was kind of like your version of ESPN News. and. Um, it was really date on a screen. We had a ticker on the on the TV network that had the odds on it that never went away. The, the network skewed younger, and it was more of an open and authentic approach to sports. So naturally, um, as part of that, uh, we never shied away from talking about sports betting. I mean, we never did anything improper, illegal, or anything of that nature. But, but you know, our, our, our hosts on air weren't your typical button-down suits like you saw in some of the other sports networks. They, they, you know, they were like two guys talking about sports. And if a silly game was going over a 16 or 18 point spread because somebody kicked a field goal, where the other networks would say, "Oh, I think that's interesting," our guys were pulling their hair out because they probably had a 20 or 50 dollar bet on the game. So it was, it was always that type of more open and authentic approach to sports. So we sold the uh, cable assets, built the TV assets, and because our audience skewed younger, it naturally gravitated towards mobile technology. So. You know, we were one of the first to, to create a sports app while we were building the TV asset under the same brand to score. You know, we were the first to have a, an app, and I think our first iteration of it was on those old Razor phones, if you remember those. The yeah. The Motorola Razor. And, and that was a lot of fun, but it was quite honestly a crappy business <laughs> because <laughs> a third went to the developer, a third went to the programmer, and we were left with a third. So we were just about to scrap this idea of going into this whole new te- technical space, and then all of a sudden BlackBerry shows up and with a sophisticated handheld device. And uh, it was just natural for us to port this data and this content in the same open and authentic approach to sports onto that platform. And then the rest was history. I mean, then iOS shows up, Android shows up. So we've been doing it for quite some time and, and you know, built this amazing app, um, as, 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 you, just, as you, you, know, you mentioned in, in the introduction. And to the point where it's now the second most popular app in North America, ESPN's number one. We're number two ahead of all the other brands that you would think would be right up there. Wow. And it's phenomenal. And, and you know, we've always known that, that people who use our app, you know, we have four to five million average monthly users that hit it over north of 120 times a month. We know these guys are interested in betting on sports, right? I mean, that's what they do. And it, it's just a natural part of why people love sports. And that's how we've always treated it. So... You know, uh, and it back up a little bit, sold the TV asset, became 100% in the mobile digital space. So when Pass the Fell, and I'm sorry for taking some time here, but it gives you the history. When Pass the Fell, uh, you know, we had a real decision to make. Do we just want to be a super affiliate like the other sports media companies that were just going to suck all this money out of the, you know, the gaming industry? And, and quite frankly, like we did in the, uh, in the poker days and in the um, uh, DFS days. Yeah. 
Um, or do we want to go all in? And, you know, it really wasn't that hard a decision. You know, we we have this brand. We have this user base. We know they love to, you know, the, the bet on sports. So we said, look, it, I mean, this is... This is not the most economical route in the short term because we could have made a crap load of money just by taking affiliate payments. But we said, no, that really isn't the real, the, 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 the way to build this business. So we decided to, to go all in and, you know, become the operator. We, we are, as you know, the only sports digital or only sports media company, period, who actually is the bookie and who actually is taking the action and is at risk. And uh, we're building a real business, and we think this is a humongous opportunity for us. Uh, you know, 65% of our business comes from the States anyway. We always hoped and prayed that Passport was going to fall. It did. And, and, and you know, here we are. We're, you know, we're, we're, we created a new bet, the, second, the new app called the Score Bet. We, we, it's fully integrated, basically, into the Score uh, media app, which is a unique offering from everybody else. Um, and it really plays true to who we are and what we are, which is just, you know, concentrate on the user, give them a great interface, give them what they want, and do it in a form and fashion that is really a differentiated approach to sports betting. Um, what were your concerns about going in that direction? You've been a content provider. Now you're doing gaming, and, and as you put it, you know, you have put your money on the line up against the right. betters. Can, can you kind of describe the thought process of going into that realm, which appears to be far different from what you were doing in the past? Well, it, it, it wasn't. It, it wasn't. I mean, again, you know, um, yes, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different layer. It's a different feature, but... Really, when when you sort of sort of rise up above it, and you just sort of look at the holistic approach to sports, and you know, we will never ever be anything. We will be always a sports digital media company in the mobile space, and integrating and, and infusing sports betting into it is just sort of it's a, listen. It's a very important aspect of it, but it's only one aspect of what we're going to do. And you know, I think if you look again from sixty thousand feet, you're going to see this. The whole sports industry is about to be turned on its head. Um, you know, you got broadcasters not knowing what to do with the games, um, and uh, and and not knowing what to do with the dead air for the other, you know, 18 hours or 19 hours a day. You got teams and leagues who are struggling to figure out how to to continue to have, you know, the, the passionate engagement of the fan, right? And um, you know, sports betting is really. It's the hot topic. It's you know, it's the sexy new thing, but it's been around forever, and it's really just one aspect um, of of as I, as I said of of, uh, of of why people love sports, and we see it as the opportunity, quite frankly, as the catalyst to raise our brand, to increase our user base, and to you know, honestly, we feel we have the opportunity to be the predominant brand in the sports media slash betting business. Um, in the future. We don't think we're going to have to take a backseat to anybody. And we know, listen, we're up against all the biggies. You know, it's, a, it's the casino world, it's the media space. But if you look at the other media companies, Brown, what are they doing? They're just sort of dipping their toe in. Yeah. Right? They're doing these marketing deals where hundreds of millions of dollars are floating one way and then coming back in the terms of advertising. Dollars. That's right. It's BS in my in my view. And, and you know, again, maybe short term, yes. But you know, in, in those particular instances, I think the issue is with, with those, you know, so these are big companies and they're very profitable and, and, you know, historically they've done a great job. But, you know, I think they're trying to fit a round peg into a square hole here or vice versa. I'm not sure which it is. One way it fits, one way it doesn't. I can't ever remember. But, but um, it, it's, 
you know, it's not focusing on what's really important, which is serving the needs of the user. And, you know, that's kind of what we always did on the TV asset, and that's kind of what we're doing. Not kind of, it is 100% what we're doing in, in, in you know, mobile, you know, on, in mobile technology and in approaching the sports. So, yes, when we made the decision to get back to your question, it was a crap, we knew we had a lot of work to do. We had to build a native, new native uh, app. Uh, we had to find a company due to the back end, which we did, which was Betworks, right, who provide the uh, sort of the raw betting technology, right, the, uh, we had to integrate that. We, you know, through them, we had to now build relationships to get licenses. So we did our deal with Dennis, uh, Dennis Drazen in New Jersey, as you know, and that was yeah. the first one. And then we did a deal with Penn National, which was great because it got us, you know, a footprint on 11 states as they roll out one of which we're probably going to be launching in the next three or four months, which is Indiana. Then we also did a deal with, um, in Colorado, um, uh, the Jacobs family, and, and we're going to be launching there, hopefully, in advance uh, of uh, NFL season. So not, uh, not easy, but very doable for us, predominantly because we had the engineering team, we know how to build apps, we know how to, you know, to, to build a brand, and... Um, and you know, really was was not. It was a lot of work, but it wasn't a big leap, if you know what I mean. Everybody asked the same question you did, like, "Whoa, what are you doing here? How are you going to compete with these guys?" Well, I think we're going to compete with these guys the same way we competed in the mobile space. I mean, everybody said we had no business creating an app that is as popular as it is, and the reason it works is just because it works. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty simple. It works because it works, and because the other people have different agendas. Uh, huge legacy assets, huge profits to protect, huge brands that they're worried about, big boards of directors that don't want to get licensed. That's a big issue, too. I mean, you know, if, if I tell you what we went through in New Jersey, what we're going through in Indiana, what we're going through in, in you know, in, uh, in Colorado and in every other state, and hopefully up here in Canada, too, as it opens up um, in terms of licensing, I can understand why a lot of the big companies, um, you know, aren't interested in that. So... It's it's a huge opportunity for us, and we're um, we see a, we we see a wide open uh, field in front of us. You know, it's interesting. I've had a lot of discussions with a lot of people in the linear television realm about how are they going to deal with the broadcasts and the content they put out, with gambling being a facet of it, and they have this complication of how do you do a national broadcast in America when some jurisdictions have legalized gambling and others have not. Um, that doesn't seem to be a problem, right, in the digital space right. for you. You can, you can kind of just work around that and say it's, it's legal where it's legal. Correct. Correct. I mean, it, it's, it's really a rethink on a refill. I mean, again, just, just the comments that you heard from these guys is, oh, my God, how do I protect what I'm doing? Oh, my God, how do I, you know, how do I infuse sports? Even if they get it, even if they understand what it is, you know, how do I infuse that and not piss off, you know, either the, the – and in our view, for, I'll give you an example. So, so for example, in our app, in the media app, um, one of the things that we were very careful not to do is piss off people who didn't weren't interested in betting on sports. I mean, listen, a high percentage, you know, our own research and third-party research says about 50, over 50% of everybody who uses our app bets on sports. And we can see it, man. On Sundays when you're, you know, they're hitting the app on, you know, banging it on 200, 300 times on Sunday night, Monday night. Marsh Madness is going to be freaking crazy, obviously, you know, with the intensity of, of how people, you know, hit the apps. But, you know, we, you know, we didn't want to build this thing to make it a betting app. I mean, the betting app has to be a betting app, obviously, because that's what gets registered, the score bet. But if you were a score bet user in New Jersey, 
and you come into the score, I mean, the integration of the two makes it entirely seamless. So you honestly don't really know whether you're on one app or the other after you register, right? And, and, that, and, that's, and that's kind of the beauty of, of, of how we built this thing. So, you know, I, I, you know I, I think the trick is focus on the user, make sure you give it to them in an easy way. And, and, and in our particular case, one of the features we built into the media app was we have this thing called bet mode. So, you know, if you are in New Jersey or in New York and crossing the bridge or Pennsylvania or wherever you are, or in states where it's legal, um, you probably want bet mode on um, because, you know, you're, you may be interested in, in additional layers of sports betting information. You know, the, the, the speed we provide is there consistently whether you're on bet mode or not. But we add diff more features in. If, but if you don't want it, you can just toggle it off. And, and you know, yeah, you get some betting information, but but you know, you you it's not pervasive, if you know what I'm saying. So we've tried to sort of create this thing in a way that 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 um, really is putting the user first. And if you're a better, you're going to get it all from us. You're going to get faster from us, and you're going to be able to sort of build your bet slip inside the media app, and then you're one or two clicks away from confirming the bet in New Jersey, or hopefully in Indiana, and in uh, uh, every other state that, that we're going into. But if you're not a better, you still get to enjoy sports content, sports media, and everything that we're doing uh, the way the way you've loved it for the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight years. Yeah, I mean, and you are still creating content, so you are the definition of second screen experience. I, I wonder if you guys have envisioned a time where rights come into play for the score and you become the first and second screen experience. I listen. I first of all, we don't treat ourselves. That, I mean, fundamentally, we don't look at ourselves as a second screen. We're the first. <laughs> this is the first screen in our view. And if you if, if you watch how people are consuming sports, it is the first screen. And you know, I mean, I'm I'm not being facetious, and I'm not saying that broadcast. You know, the games being broadcast on television, you know, isn't significant and isn't going to be huge generation of revenue. But you know, your I don't know your age, your grandkids, your kids, I mean, they're not going to consume it the same way. Yeah. You see it already. And, you know, our view is, and this gets back to what I was saying earlier, um, the primary utilization, con consumption, uh, the primary uh, of, uh, consumption of sports is going to be on digital and mobile devices, period, end of story. And if you end up um, watching it on that thing that's in your living room, let's call it a television, that's really just going to be an extension of how people – People are consuming sports. It's, it's 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 no longer the other way around. It's a complete rethink, I believe, of of how you uh, think about the presentation and serving up sports games. The only thing that that's consistent, in our view, the only thing that has to happen is the game has to be played. As long as the game's being played, yeah. Not everything else doesn't matter. Everything else can be up. Listen, I'm reading reports this morning about consideration of March Madness in empty arenas. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing uh, the Olympics uh, being postponed. Well, I, I, don't know, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've watched March Madness the last, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years, but those first and second round games look like they're empty anyway. So I'm not sure that this is a huge, that's a huge uh, precursor to a problem. I get why they're talking about it, but, you know. Man, that's very funny. I've never, I've never about it like that. So, yeah, I know, especially when they put them in, you know, 40,000. Yes. You know, so far up, did you get, you know, like, I was at the finals in Detroit when Michigan, you know, I was like, 
ridiculous. I mean, the user experience is terrible, right? Yes. Go to an NFL game. I mean, I love the NFL. Go to an NFL game and, and try, to, try to stay engaged during the game when they're running all these commercials. I mean, it's, it's almost abusive to the fans, right? I yes. Mean, it's a great sport. Everybody loves it. And at home when you're watching it or when you're, when you're streaming it or when you're walking around on, on, on following it on the score and, and you know, you're, you, you, you're using it the way you want to use it. But being forced to sit and, and, and with dead time, is, is craziness, right? And yeah. They, and, and certain people do it better than others. I mean, going off topic a little bit, like basketball seems to have figured out a way to keep audiences engaged in arena. It's a fast-paced game. They get you in and out in two hours. There's always shit going on, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting. Um, other sports, not so much. So anyway, long way of saying, I think this whole thing is wide open. And, and yeah. just, uh, we're excited because I think there's an opportunity for a brand like ours who think differently and who really care about the end product and the user and the interface to, um, and again, this isn't an overnight thing, but you know, over the course of the next number of years, I think you're going to see it dramatically change. Yeah. I, I guess, uh, you know, I'm of the age where I still want to watch the caps play the penguins or the masters. And I guess right. what I'm asking is it, it almost sounds like you're saying the viewing experience will devalue the actual live experience of literally seeing it happen in real time because you don't have the rights, which therefore means whether they're two phones, a tablet and a phone, a TV and a phone, there still involves a second screen involvement with you unless you actually go get the master's rights. So, well, yeah, you're right. I yeah. mean, like, listen, I can envisage a time, honestly, and, you know, you're already seeing, I mean, you're seeing over-the-top stuff, right? I mean, yeah. I just read yesterday, um, the Yankees, there were 20 games, did I see that on the Yes Network streaming or something? I thought I saw, read it quick, I was busy but i thought i saw something about that and uh you know you i mean uh, but again that's just that's just taking you know that's taking the way it's been traditionally broadcast on television and finding a new medium for it and streaming it and i, and I think that's you know maybe part of the answer but that, that again that's just sort of taking what works in one like in one form and trying to make it work in another form so i think even that's open for for disruption and in the, you know, in the short term, rights are still going to be very expensive and they're going to go up in value because you've got new players in the field like Amazon and all the digital guys who are Facebook. They're dipping their toes in. They're trying to figure out how to make sense of it. And it's adding a new layer of, of, um, you know, of, in, of, of bidding to, to these rights. But, you know, again, I think that's short term because unless they figure out how it works for them and how it works for the users and the customers, um, you know, I think I think you know that that's just sort of an artificial way of propping up these valuations in the in the near term. Down the road, when a company figures it out and has the relationship with the customer and the engagement with the customer, you know, the teams in the leagues are either going to have to be a part of that or they're going to have to figure out how to infuse their product into it. So, again, this gets back to this whole thing that it, it could turn the whole me- metric up. Yeah. Matrix. Down. Yeah, I, it does feel very chicken and egg. Who's gonna? Wh- which way is it really gonna go? Is there room for really both of these these types of um, of platforms? Um, um, let me ask you this um, before I let you go: five G yeah. speed and technology. Um, how are you all dealing with all, all of this back end speed to make sure that all the gaming that you're doing is as safe and as fair as possible? Critical. It's critical. I mean, we have. We, you know, it's a Forget about 5G for the moment. We, just in terms of video broadcast, we need it for the data. Um, you know, 
we've only been this for a few months, right? I mean, we only launched in September, I guess, right? And we're only in one state at this point. But, you know, uh, you know, we're cl probably somewhere closing in on 40 to 50% of our action is in-game now. So, you know, it has to be, you know, fast data. And the deals that we're doing with the league, the official data deals that we're doing with the league, you know, we have to assure, and, and we're in a bit of a different situation because not only do we want the fast data for uh, the score betting app, but we also want to have that level of, 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 of you know, speed in our media. So, you know, we're, you know, because, because, you know, we're, we're moving people back and forth from the media to the betting and betting to the media. So, um, you're right. I mean, it, you, okay, so let's say we got the right to stream a live game on the score, for example. If there's a 10, 15, you know, second delay on this thing, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible user experience because they want to bet in game and, you know, we're having to delay it and stall it because, you know, you have to set the odds on a second by second basis, right? And create, create the markets and, and make sure the risk is covered. You can't do it unless it's instantaneous. So 5G, in terms of you know, immediate video streaming on other platforms, is critical. Is critical to making this stuff work. And again, when I say platform, it could be again the screen in the house. It could be you know, uh, you know, uh, an iPad. It could be your mobile tech, whatever that the, the actual unit is that you're streaming onto. It has to be fast, and it has to be almost like the experience that you have in stadium um, watching a game live. I mean, right now, if you're on our app, Bram, I mean, you, you, can't, you can almost not watch the game because we're get, uh, giving it almost instantaneously, and, you know, um, then the goal scored uh, five seconds later, or, you know, the guy's, you know, the next player, a player two ahead, and, you know, the, there's a, you know, a touchdown score. So... Um, it's actually a better experience on, on the mobile device in terms of the live, you know, instantaneous um, um, provisioning of data and betting um, than it would be on television for now. All right. Um, are you going to open a casino? Is that a possibility? Would you guys do that? Uh, I think anything's possible. Okay. I mean, like, I mean, no, I, I can, I'm, I'm not saying there are. I'm not looking at blueprints right now. Right. <laughs> right. To open the score casino, but yeah. I'm taught, like, you know, I mean, listen, it's it's certainly not out of the question that part of our relationships with uh, licensees are casino properties. Yeah. We know them all. We've talked to them all. Um, in fact, our, uh, our you know, uh, Fengate, who's a big, uh, one of our uh, financial partners at the score, um, is the company that uh, took over the Hard Rock in Vegas. With um, 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 with Branson and Virgin, right? And I don't know if you probably read about that. So that's one of our uh, prime financial guys. So I'm not saying that that, that casino is going to turn into the score. But when you're building relationships like that, when you're building your brand, when your sports betting is the catalyst that's going to drive a lot of stuff. And whether it's a casino or whether it's a sports book in a casino or whether it's a standalone uh, sports book slash bar, slash entertainment place. These things are all on the table. and But they should only be there if it's a way of, of serving the, the, the users that, that are interested in your product and your brand. So the answer is, I, I, it would be great if that was something down the road that we got. We got well, that's cool. Uh, the only thing I could see that, that, that you missed on was you could have been Dave Portnoy. You guys were Barstool before Barstool. You could have been a massive media star if you wanted to be running the score. 
Okay, now you're opening up a real kettle of fish. <laughs> I love, like, those guys are great. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Erica's tremendous. Yeah. David, they're, they're, I, I, I'm sure you've chatted with them. Yeah. They're uber smart. They got a great brand. Um, it's irreverent. Uh, it goes, obviously, a lot further than, than where we go. And in yeah. fact, you know, they partnered with our partner, right? They, they, you know, they did a deal. I think Penn National bought them, right? And I think, I think, uh, I think they, they, they still have ownership in it. But um, so we're sort of connected a little bit at the hips because we have deals with the same, same, uh, same party. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think you'll see us going quite as far no. as what their brand does. Yeah. Um, and, and good on them. But you know, listen, they're also about why people love sports and they take it to a different level and that's fine and it's great um, i'm not sure we would want to take it to that level to be quite honest yeah. because you know we're trying to reach a broader audience right and uh, th- that's not to say that we're going to be any less authentic or any less um real in terms of trying to serve the needs of our users um, but again, I think, you know, that's just another subsection and I, you know, some point down the road, there may be something that we could do with those guys. I'd love it. So we'll see. Oh uh, boy. We are in the wild, wild west of content, gambling, all that together. And you guys have been ahead of the curve all along. I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes. John Levy is the founder and the CEO of the score. Thank you so much, John. Ram, thank you so much. It was a, it was a treat. Thanks a lot. Up next, John Patton of Vortec on some remarkable advancements in new skin suits that can improve every cyclist's performance. This is the Future Sport Podcast. So let's take a minute here to thank our friends at 3Advance. These guys are ranked one of the nation's top app developers, but that's not all. They've helped grow a bunch of sports tech startups like Team Builder, T-Box Tour, and In-Game Fantasy. But they're also experts in user experience, cloud APIs, and artificial intelligence. So if you're looking for a dev partner to bring your future sport tech to life, look these guys up. Go to 3advance.com. They're the team to make it happen. At Advance, you will. That's the number 3advance.com. And tell them Future Sport sent you. Got some strange happenings in the world these days, and some of those solo sports might be a little more attractive than the team sports based on what's happening with world events and viruses spreading throughout the globe. Here to help with that is John Payton, who's the group leader of aerodynamics and performance sport at Vortec. And we're here to learn a little bit more about the custom racing suits that they're making for cyclists around the globe. Hey, John, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Bram. Nice to meet you. Um, let's talk a little bit about what you guys do. Um, what are you building for cyclists? So um, the, the company that, uh, that we set up is called Vortec. Um, we're a spin-off from, from a company called Total Sim that uh, worked in elite sport and, and high-performance engineering with Formula One teams, brands like Aston Martin and, and Formula One, um, Ineos, um, so some, some pretty cool high-profile brands. And as part of that, we had a, a really good opportunity to work in elite sport. Um, and we wanted to bring some of that elite level technology um, to the mass market. So we created Vortec to try and help uh, people through all abilities uh, to access uh, some of the, the, the elite level performance technology. 
So you're creating skin suits um, that are used by, I would assume, at least initially, professional cyclists. And they're measuring what? Yeah, so um, skin suits, um, predominantly for, for, for elite athletes, but um, actually part of the brand is to try and get anybody that's doing time trials, whether they're um, the bottom of the, uh, the racing ladder or the top of the racing ladder into these suits. Um, so by creating them a, a fully custom bespoke skin suit, we can uh, help them go that 1% to 10% faster and, and reduce their drag so that, that less of their power is just fighting wind and more of it goes into making the athlete go faster. And you're using, what, 3D technology, I read, that there's a handheld scanner that helps build this? Yeah, that's correct. So um, uh, historically, I guess skin suits would have been made to a, to a traditional tailoring-type approach where uh, you, you take a template or a size pattern, you, you try it on an athlete uh, and see how well it fits. If something needs to then be adjusted to, to remove a wrinkle or, 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 or the like, um, you'd adjust that and, and come back and you might do two or three fits to, to make sure that uh, you, you're, you've got the absolute optimum fit and there's no wrinkles. Now, the, the way that we're doing it with, with Vortec is that we're trying to use a more engineering type approach. After all, we're, we're engineers, so we, um, so we laser scan the athletes or, or, or white light scan the athletes with, with Smartec handheld scanners. That captures the geometry that allows us then to feed that into um, a computer program and effectively do that tailoring process all, all digitally and, all, 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 um, and in a more precise manner. So by the time we finish, we know exactly the stresses and strains in those materials. We know where wrinkles might appear and we can make sure that the first time the athlete puts on that, that skin suit, it's going to fit uh, as well as it possibly can do. Now, not only is that a comfort thing, but also we found that um, by dictating what the stresses and strains are in that suit, we can also optimize aerodynamic performance. So we're a bit OCD at Vortec, um, <laughs> and we've tested something like 40,000 different combinations of, of material and speed and stress and strain. Um, and we want to make sure that each athlete gets the optimum tension in their suit and, and, and pick the right material. So by doing all this digitally, we can make sure that we deliver the performance that our customers want. Um, obviously, we're talking about mass market, and we're putting this out to um, amateurs and, and those who are above amateur level. Um, are, are you working with professional race teams as well? Are they allowed to use your suits in competition? Yeah, so, I mean, our background has been in elite sport. Um, RMD received an OBE from, from Services to British Sport. Um, but, yeah, you're right, this is more about getting to the consumer market. Um, but we are, are going to be supporting multiple nations at the Olympics. The new um, the new rules around uh, kit for, for particularly track cycling means that everything needs to be commercially available. So... Um, Long gone are the days where one team might turn up with, with kit that is uh, a lot better than another um, because it was developed by themselves. All the kit now has to be sold and has to have been on the market from the first of uh, the first of January. Uh, so, yeah, that, this is exciting time to see um, to see who's going to be wearing our kit for the Olympics. Um, let me talk about the number you cited there, which was in some cases you're seeing a ten percent increase in productivity and efficiency by the rider himself um were you surprised by that number that's a large number were you surprised by that i'm not surprised because we've been doing it quite a long time um but it is still fairly staggering that you can make 
somebody, um, you know, 10% faster or the equivalent of 10% stronger just by putting them in a, a different skin suit. Um, cycling is a really nice sport if you're an engineer because it's so numbers driven. You, you know, it's back to the, the very fundamentals of physics where power is force times velocity. And um, if, if the athlete is putting out a fixed power and we can reduce the drag, then, then they go faster. Um, and it, it all works out really nicely like that. And, and especially when you're, you're talking about the, the winning margins of just a, you know, a, a half wheel or, 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 or a quarter wheel even uh, to, to, to win a, a gold medal. Um, you know, these kind of numbers can, can make the difference between a gold medal and a, and a bronze or even not even medaling. Okay, I'll let you go with this. Um, you, you talked a lot about materials, but you, you weren't necessarily specific about it. Um, are, are we talking about old materials or are newly formed materials coming out that are, that are helping with performance with athletes? It's a little bit uh, of everything uh, that you mentioned there, Bram. So, um, yeah, fundamentally, material is, is uh, old technology. There's a weft and a warp, and they're woven together to, to create a fabric. Um, uh, and so, yeah, we've tested everything from um, regular lycras and, um, and materials that are used by competitors to fabrics that are just used by the lingerie market and, um, you know, everything else in between them. Um, so, yeah, um, the interesting thing with, uh, with cycling is that pretty much every athlete and uh, for every event could, could actually use a different material. So if I take a, uh, the same athlete and I change them from a, uh, you know, a, an endurance event to a sprint on the track, the fabrics that they would want in those suits are completely different, um, even to the extent of you know, a windy day or, or a non-windy day. If, if you get really uh, obsessive about performance, you could choose a different skin suit. Uh, John Patton is the group leader of aerodynamics and performance sport at Vortec. Thanks so much for joining us, John. No problem. Thanks very much. That will do it for us this week. Hey, remember, check out the show notes for my personal email. If you have interest in sharing some stories of how you, your brand, or your initiatives are helping the sports world navigate this unprecedented time, we want to hear from you. And as always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.